Brother, we need to have a very brief business meeting after the services. Frank called me Thursday and asked me what I was speaking on. As most of us who were not seasoned speakers uh, will tell you, sometimes we change our minds uh, rather close to the time we're supposed to speak. Frank kind of put me on the spot when I had to give him an answer, so I had to go with what I had planned to speak. What does the church need? Frank could make a, a 360 series sermon on this, but uh, I would like to address some things tonight, which I, in my opinion, in my opinion, and a dollar will get you a cup of coffee at McDonald's, some things that I think that the church needs, but not merely by my opinion, but what, what the scriptures say. What do we need? What is going to take to help the church grow? What is it going to take to help keep the church strong? And I think that what we need is summed up in one word, and that word is love. Now, some people may be thinking, well, I guess it's going to be one of those touchy-feely, warm and fuzzy kumbaya sermons where we walk away feeling all mushy inside. No, that's not it. And while there are occasions where we feel that way because of the appreciation that we have for our brethren, that is not the case this evening. I would like for us to look at some things that, that God says that the church needs and think on these things. It is true that we must love one another. Without a doubt, that should be what the world sees in us, that we love one another. In the book of 1 Peter, it seems that there was some dissension among the brethren between the Jews and the Greeks. Once again, um, some thinking that others were favored and, and they weren't getting the attention and so on and so forth. Isn't that the reason that the first deacons were appointed? That there was just such a dissension? Look at 1 Peter chapter 1 and verses 22 and 23. Peter says, See, you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren. That is not a superficial love. We have a little dog at the house that through a series of circumstances, Tammy uh, rescued from the animal shelter. And to say that this dog loves Tammy would be an understatement. When Tammy is gone, the dog will, will mope. He goes almost into depression. And I'll try to get him to go outside. I'll try to get him to do this, do that. And he'll just, he'll just lay there. If I'm watching TV and I'm sitting in a recliner, I could hear his footsteps coming down the hall when she's home. That's how I know she's there. And he'll run at the front door and he'll bark. And if I don't get up, he'll run and hop in my lap and put his front feet right here and he'll bark. Then he'll run back to the front door because Tammy's home. When Tammy gets in the house, he immediately runs and jumps in my lap. And if Tammy's coming in the door over here, he'll face this way and he'll look over his shoulder at Tammy. Like, I've got somebody else. And she'll call his name and he'll run over there. And it seems that he is lecturing her about being gone so long. And he's happy that Tammy is home. It's one of the uh, things that we love about the dog is that he has such personality. This is not what... Peter is talking about. He's talking about an appreciation for each other. 
a concern for each other that will lead us to go out of our way and to do things for our brethren because we love them and we care for them. We see to their needs. Think at what Peter goes on to say. He says, see that you love one another with a pure heart fervently. Not a hypocritical love, not a what suits me love. This is a pure heart and it's to be a fervent love in that we care for one another. We see to each other's needs. If one of us is sick, the others see to them. If one has a need, the others see to that need. And it's one thing that I appreciate about the brethren here, and I say these things many times, not as a, a means of bragging, but I would, but it is a means to show you, brethren, how much I appreciate the, the spirit of love that permeates this congregation, that we care for each other. In Genesis 13 and verse 8, Abram said unto Lot, that there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdsmen and thy herdsmen, for we be brethren. You didn't know Abram spoke redneck, did you? We be brethren. We are. We are a family. We are a brotherhood. We are a fellowship. And that should be evident to those outside the church as well as those inside the church that we care for one another. And if there's a need that arises, we are certainly willing and able to take care of it. But listen to what Peter goes on to say. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, that is not of the seed of man. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible seed, that is by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. Jesus said he has gone to prepare a place for us. If that is the case, and it is, should we be preparing ourselves to be in that place? And if we're going to spend an eternity with Christians, shouldn't we prepare ourselves to live with those brethren? Shouldn't we show them now how much we care for them and we love them and want to be with them? Because we're preparing to spend eternity with one another. There are congregations in this brotherhood, brethren, that cannot say these things. There is strife, there is dissension, and it's not pleasant to bring these things up, but these things exist. As Abram said, we be brethren. In Galatians chapter 6, and verses 9 and 10, as Paul addresses the church at Galatia, he says, let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. Don't be weary in well-doing. Don't get tired of doing things for other people. For we shall reap, brethren, if we continue to do these things, if we faint not, if we don't get weak, if we don't get weary. As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially unto them who are of the household of faith. Do good unto all men, but first and foremost to those who are Christians. I watched this past Tuesday night as a group of brethren ages from 14 to 75 helped April Meacham move. There was no dissension. There was no argument. Everyone simply did what they saw needed to be done. The move went smoothly. There was fellowship. There was companionship. There was love for the brethren that was expressed. And to some of us, it would it would just be nothing out of the ordinary. But I spoke to one young man who was there, and he remarked of this fellowship, of the joy that he had watching others work together. 
of the friendships that they had and the things that were said and the things that were done, and not a crossword was said. We never know, brethren, what impression we're making on somebody else by the things that we say and the things that we do. While we thought this was just another thing with us, he saw something special. And these are the lessons that we teach those in the world when we do these things for one another. That this fellowship, this love that we have for one another, and this willingness to help each other is there. Because I can promise you that there are those in the world, and I've dealt with these people, who cannot understand this. They do not understand that willingness to help somebody else without something being promised in return. But that is what we should do. And first and foremost, as Paul said, do this unto those who are of the household of faith. Brethren, we need more love for one another in the church. And we need to continue doing the good works that we're doing. Another thing that we need is we need more shunning, brethren, in society and in the church. There are some very bad people out there. There are some very bad people in the church. And there are people who need to be called to account for the things that they say and the things that they do. But we're too... I don't know. Bashful? I don't know. Um, Secondhand Lions, I don't know if any of you have seen that. It's one of my favorite movies. And Robert Duvall is sitting at a counter. He's eating a steak, and a bunch of young guys come in, and this one comes in and starts picking at his plate because he's a bully. He's trying to pick on an, an old man. And Robert Duvall slaps his hand back and said, looks at his, his friend. He says, this is what I'm talking about. People like this who have never been disciplined, who've been th raised to think that the world owes them everything and never had anybody to say anything to them because they're too kind to do it. We need more shunning in society. If we did, brethren, we wouldn't have the things going on that are happening today. I'm kind of mixed on boycotting stores and stuff like that. I, I don't know that they do a whole lot of good. Uh, I will say this, if you feel that that needs to be done, I would certainly support you. I've, I've done these things in the past, but these big stores, they just get different customers. They're not really concerned. What I find really unique is that Home Depot was one of the, the biggest supporters of the uh, the homosexual movement uh, when it was first getting off the ground. And the Christians were saying, well, boycott Home Depot. And now it's come to light that one of the, the founders of Home Depot was a Trump supporter, so now the homosexuals want to boycott it. They're mad at the store that they once supported. So there's a mixed bag on this as to whether or not these things do any good. But we do need, brethren, more shunning in our society today. This is a biblical principle that needs to be brought out of the closet and put into practice. Look at what Paul says in Romans 16 and verse 17. He says, I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. Those who cause divisions, those who teach error. Why, why do we call false teachers liberals? 
Why do we call those who stray from the word that we have in the scriptures liberals? The Bible doesn't say that. When the, when the Bible speaks of liberals, they speak of liberal givers. It speaks of those who are liberal in loving the brethren, those who are liberal in giving, and so on and so forth. But those who teach the doctrine that is contrary to the scriptures, they're called false teachers. They're even called liars. They're called a number of other things, but they're not called liberals. And in my opinion, when we soft soap this, because these people who are teaching error are teaching people into hell, we're doing a disservice both to them and the people that they hear. This is a very serious problem that needs to be dealt with. And he says to mark those who uh, do offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. Those who do physical things, those who don't behave themselves, we are to mark them and we are to avoid them. This wasn't just a suggestion that was made by Paul. This was a statement. This was a doctrine. This was from the word of God. He says we are to mark these people and we are to avoid them. 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 11, Paul says, but now I have now I have written unto you not to keep company if a man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner with such a one know not to eat. Avoid them. Don't have fellowship with them. Mark them and have nothing to do with them. The problem is not so much today in the uh, number of homosexuals who are parading in the streets. But the problem mainly or the larger part is with those who support them. They may not be practicing this thing themselves, but they support those who do. I believe that John addresses this in 2 John, chapter, uh, 2 John verses 10 and 11, where it says, If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house. Neither bid him God speak, for he that biddeth him God speak is partaker of his evil deed. They're just as guilty as the ones who are practicing it. So when we see these brethren out there doing ungodly things and teaching ungodly doctrines, when we fellowship them, are we not bidding them Godspeed? When we fail to correct them, are we not bidding them Godspeed? Are we not encouraging them in things that they do? If I might use this as an example, and it may be a stretch to some, but follow me on this if you will. There is a big discussion in the political world today about the tariffs that the president has placed on certain countries who have been abusing the privilege of doing business with America for years. I can remember back in the 80s when I listened to Paul Harvey that he would mention the enormous trade deficit that was in the billions. The money that was going out of the country and not coming back every month. And he would give a chart and he would say, well, this is what it was last year. And if the rate keeps going, it would be such and such amount and it would keep climbing. Well, aren't these tariffs a means of reminding these companies that or these countries that it is a privilege to do business with us? It is a privilege to be here. And aren't these tariffs a means of causing them to reflect on the privilege that they have? and ask them to think about the fact, is it worth doing business with America? 
This is the means of shunning these people, brethren, causing them to think. When we shun people, when we refuse to fellowship them and we do it the right way, we do it in love, we make them think about what they have done, what they have lost in the fellowship, what they will gain in that fellowship by getting it back, by repenting and correcting their lives. Is this not right? Is this not the purpose, as Paul said, of not having fellowship with those who are ungodly? It is a means of correcting erring Christians. As I listen to the debate on the tariffs, I have noticed that those who object, those who object to the tariffs are the ones who will feel a personal burden. The big companies say, well, our material costs will go up. It will cost us more to get our material. They're looking in the short term. They're not looking in the long term. They're not looking for the good of what's best for this country. And then there are those who say, well, I'll have to pay more for the goods that I want. They're not willing to make the sacrifice to even the, the trade deal with the other companies. Those who I hear objecting to disfellowshipping ungodly brethren or, or shunning others generally have a personal interest in this person, it would be a relative, a close friend, a brother, that, a brother or sister that they dearly love. But those who object have a personal interest. They don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. But according to the scriptures, brethren, this must be done. If we are to save this person's soul, and if we love them fervently, as Peter says, we do want to save their soul, these things need to be done. If they will not behave themselves, and act as they should. There are two possible outcomes. Either they will repent and return, or they will rebel and reject what is best for them. Either way, brethren, the cancer is no longer infecting the church. And that may be a, uh, not a good way to state it, but that is, that is what it is. When we allow ungodly brethren and those who teach false doctrine to linger and to continue what they're doing, they are harming the church. Paul says we are to shun them. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1 says that if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. We should shun those erring Christians while helping them to understand that we do this because we love them. That should be our sole purpose, brethren to help them return to the flock and be the Christians that they should be. Love requires that we correct our erring brethren. Love requires that we have preachers who will preach all of God's word. That is the popular, the unpopular, the positive, the negative, whatever is necessary, we need a person in the pulpit who will do these things. Unfortunately, that is not always the case. There is a preacher here in town who, as a young man, was a, a youth minister at one of the larger congregations. And um, he left for a while and went to Florida, and then he came back. And there were all kinds of, uh, um, there were articles written about him and so on and so forth about the things that he taught and the things that he practiced and believed. So, I wrote him a letter. Well, first I made a phone call. 
And to his credit, he returned my phone call and we had a conversation and he didn't want to answer any of my questions. So I wrote him a letter. He didn't answer, so I wrote him another letter. He didn't answer, so the third time I wrote him a registered letter. And I just asked him some questions along the line of, do you believe in the uniqueness of the church? Do you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that, do you believe the scriptures authorize instrumental music or a cappella singing? And, and basic doctrinal questions that any preacher, any Christian could answer because they're just basic doctrinal questions. Here was his response. He says, I have witnessed our fellowship bicker, fight, and splinter over the smallest of things while the world goes to hell. He says, I refuse to participate any longer. These are not small things, brethren. These are doctrinal things. These are the, the foundational things that we were given, the basis of the, the Christian, Christian religion that we practice. Jesus is the Son of God. He did die for our sins. The Lord's church is unique. But he refused to answer these questions because he said they were small things. I read a quote one time that said, if a man will not defend his honor, the world will assume he has none. We owe it to our brethren, we owe it to those outside the church to defend the gospel, to defend our practices, to defend our beliefs. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 11, Peter says, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. Let him speak the word of God. It may not be pleasant to some. They may not like it, but that is his responsibility. That is his obligation, to speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do as, it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. That word must be preached to the glory of God, that he may be glorified. Instead, we have people out there who are clamoring for the gospel to be changed to fit them. Nowhere between Genesis and Revelation do we ever find that the case of a faithful prophet or preacher. The children of Israel, you know, they said, uh, speak to us smooth things, prophesy deceits, and that's what the world wants. But that's not what the scriptures call for. The scriptures say to speak as the oracles of God. Second Timothy chapter four and verse two says, "Preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine." The preacher has a, a difficult job. It seems that we expect him to know what we need and how to present it to us in a way that won't hurt our feelings. We're to preach to the lost in a way that won't offend them. But the scriptures say that we are to preach as the oracles of God, as the scriptures say. Preach it as it is. 
We need better Bible students. I am continually impressed with the, the knowledge that we have here. Um, there are some who it, it seems that at any given moment can answer any given question. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse, starting verse 18. It says, therefore you shall lay up, the, lay up my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. As best I can tell by doing a little research, frontlets were cubicles. They were just square cubes where the Jews would write scriptures. They would hang them in different places and these they would have a, uh, a scripture or a saying on each side and these things would turn uh, as the wind blew or someone turned them or whatever. And they would place them places where they would be sure to see them. I'd always thought of these things. I'd, uh, when I was in elementary school, we did some uh, reading on the Argentinian cowboys and they had these little beads on strings that they hung around their hats to keep the flies away from their face. And I always thought of frontlets as these things. And uh, I, I don't know which is, uh, which is true, but the scriptures say we are to keep these scriptures always before us, reminding us of the things that we need to do, the things that we need to say, the way that we need to behave. Keep them as frontlets between your eyes. You shall teach them to your children, speaking of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, thou shalt write them upon the doorposts of thine house and upon thy gates, that your days may be multiplied. You are to always have the word of God before you. There should never be a question, brethren. There should be an occasion where we forget that we are Christians. There should be an occasion where we, we doubt our Christianity. The word of God should be as frontless before our eyes. Is it not our responsibility to teach others? Great commission is given to us in Matthew chapter 18. Go you there into all the world and teach. Mark chapter 16 and verses 15 and 16, go and teach. Where to go and teach? And if we do not know that word, we cannot teach as we should. The word of God should always be before us. All these things I say to say that they all involve love. Because all these things remind us that we do care for one another. We have that, that pure love, that fervent love, that concern for one another. We should have that concern that where if we see our brother error, our sister error, that, that we can go to them and, and talk to them. And not only that, brethren, if there are those who come to us, we should be willing to listen. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1, Paul says, Though I speak with the tongues of men and angels, and have not charity, or I have not love, I am become a sounding brass, or a tinkling cymbal. We're just noise. And there are so many out there today, brethren, preaching noise, that's hard for the world to hear. If we act like the denominations, if we act like the, the world, the world will see no difference. 
Scriptures say that we are a, a distinct people. The world should see Christ living in us. These are some things, brethren, that, that I believe that the Scriptures say that we need. Characters that we need to have. Practices that we need to keep. If you are here this evening, perhaps these are, are things that you need to improve. Or maybe you need to correct or some things that you have not been doing and you need to do. We're certainly willing to pray for you and with you. If you're not a Christian and you're of age, we encourage you to obey the gospel, to hear the word, to believe it, to repent of your sins, confess Jesus as the Son of God, be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins. If you have any need, will you come as we stand and sing? All things are ready. Come to the feast. Come for the table now is spread. Eat by washing, Come, please.